help me welcome Doreen this morning. My name is Doreen Duvall. I'm a very grateful member of the Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon. Thank you. I needed that. I'd be glad to let Maggie share or Bob or whatever. <laughs> I have been a member of Al-Anon now for a little over 10 years. And my home group is the Harrisburg Al-Anon Family Group in Harrisburg, North Carolina, which is just outside of Concord. I mean, yes, outside of Concord, it's just outside of Charlotte, too. Before I go any further, I would like to thank the committee for asking Carson and I to be a part of this retreat. You've made us feel so welcome and wanted and loved, and we appreciate it. We're at a time in our lives when we needed a retreat right now. So I know when we go home, we're going to have our cups full too. And we thank you for giving us this opportunity. What I'm going to share with you today is just my own personal feelings. And I'd like to say right up front now that I in no way trying to take Carlton's inventory. I'm not here for that. <laughs> but it is a little hard for you, for me to tell you a little bit about myself and how the disease of alcoholism has affected me Without, I don't bring him into my, our story. The nicest thing about our two-in programs now is that we can talk and we can laugh about some of the things that went on, and we couldn't do that for years before. So I hope you don't think I'm taking his inventory. And I'd like to say something else. I don't want anyone to think that I'm critical in any way of alcoholics or anyone in AA. To me, alcoholics are usually the very kind, caring, loving people, very sensitive people. And I think maybe that's also part of the illness. And I have been affected with it. And but for the grace of God, I could have been an alcoholic too. And I have so many good friends in the two, two programs that I don't anyone think I'm criticizing in any way. My program tells me to say what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And this I'll try to do. I am nervous today, more nervous than I've been in a long time, and I don't know why. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to try and do the best I can. In case there is anyone here today who is not familiar with Al-Anon, and maybe there is someone visiting for the first time at a retreat, Al-Anon is a program of recovery for those of us who have family members or friends who suffer from the disease of alcoholism. Our lives have been deeply affected by someone else's alcoholism, and our program is for us. And I strongly believe that the family member needs a program of recovery as much or as more than the alcoholic does. You know, usually when the alcoholic comes into AA, he quits drinking and he or using and he immediately starts feeling better. You know, physically he starts to get better. And we didn't have all that and it takes us a little longer to start feeling better. So if any of you here today have got a family member who you think's not improving too well, please be a little patient with them. Remember that it takes a little longer for us. It took me two years in the program before I ever started trusting again. And uh, I'm not proud of that, but it did take me that long. So please be a little patient with some of our family members. The old saying that well, some are sicker than others, I think applies to us a lot. I do talk funny. I know some of you are sitting out there now trying to figure out where does she come from, you know. <laughs> I've been accused of coming from Charleston, Virginia, Canada, and I think that's about all. I'm from England. I was born and raised in London, England. I was an only child. I was brought up as the Roman Catholic. I was about six years old when World War II started. And I thought everybody lived like I did growing up. I don't tell you any of these things for pity or anything like that, just to give you a little idea about what it was like for me when I was a child. 
And one of the things was I thought everybody slept in air raid shelters. You know, during the war, uh, Hitler would start bombing every night about six o'clock. You know, you could set your watch by what time he was going to start. So you immediately fixed your supper early, you got your house in order, and you always took a suitcase with you with a clean change of underclothes in there because when you came out of the shelter next morning, you might not have anything. And my mother was the one that, you know, you were going to have a clean pair of drawers next day, don't matter what happened. So you always took your underclothes with you, you know, and you checked in, and we slept in concrete block buildings, and there was three tiers, and I used to sleep on the top tier. I fell out a lot of times. I've been told that's what's wrong with me now, you know. So my father put me on the bottom tier. And you've got to get to bed early and try to get to sleep early because the snores will keep you awake. I didn't realize what the insecurities were at that time. Looking back now, I realize it must have been a very insecure time and maybe this is some of the things I have stuffed. You hear nowadays that so many people say, I am this or I am that because of my childhood. And I often think that I could have done a lot of things nowadays because of the sort of childhood I had. But I've learned in this program that you put all of that behind you and you go ahead and you work with what you've got today. And so Alan has helped me with some of the things that have happened in my childhood too. Uh, I went to a Roman Catholic school, a convent school. It was a very strict environment. I was with people who had a lot more money than I did. I come from a working class environment. And in those days in England, people were very class conscious about where you were born and raised. You know, I don't think they are so much nowadays, but they were in those days. And I went to a convent school and I wore a school uniform so I didn't feel quite as bad because we all looked alike. Uh, there wasn't much drinking in our home, very little indeed. I gather my father had been a pretty heavy drinker until I was born, and then he kind of quit. Uh, my mother always gave us a good upbringing. We were never real close, but that is okay too. I've accepted through the program that that's just the way it was. She loved me, I knew that, and I loved her. We didn't have a whole lot in common, but that's okay. I finally got through school and don't ask me how we ever managed to get through school in those days because one week we would go in the mornings and the next week in the afternoons because there was such a shortage of school teachers. Uh, we never had quite enough food. I never went hungry but together we did at one time my mother stood in line six hours I think it was for an orange. I'd not had an orange or seen an orange in years and the boat was coming in bringing fresh fruit and you know the Germans hadn't let any boats in in a long time and she was determined I was going to have a piece of fresh fruit. I gather my gen- there were some good points to all this. My generation had good teeth. We didn't get any junk food or candy. So you know that there's a positive side on everything if you really stop and think about it. I finally got through school and I went to work. Now I went to work for Lieber Brothers and some of you may know them, the soap people. And I went to work in their advertising agency. I did not date a whole lot. I didn't relate to uh, boys very well at all. I'd gone to a segregated school. It was boys on one side and girls on the other, and we did not mix too well. I had a girlfriend, and if we ever went out together, she was the type who always got the good-looking guy, and I always got the one that was left over. Uh, Carton would like for me to clear that up, but uh, there are exceptions to this rule. Is that what you told me to say, Carson? Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he likes to tell everyone that he writes all this for me, too. <laughs> but anyway, I didn't date a whole lot, and um, I didn't drink a whole lot, but I went to a friend's wedding, and I met Carlton. He was over there with the Air Force, 
and uh, I liked him right off the start. He was very friendly and very kind to me, and uh, I, we, we just got on well together. And he asked me if I would like to go to a squadron party that night after the wedding. English weddings, I gather, he always made because there's always a lot of drinking and a lot of booze, you know. So I went to a squadron party and I enjoyed it. I was a little surprised with all the food you had. I'm used to it now and I eat just like everybody else does, but I couldn't get over the fried chicken, the tomato cheese sandwiches and all the other stuff piled on top, you know. But I went and I had a good time and we started dating. Now, most of our dating took place in, in the middle of London or on a ball field because he played, he played baseball for an English team to better Anglo-American relations, they told him. And looking back, I think one of the reasons he played was there was a lot of partying afterwards. And I went right along with him. I had a good time. So we did most of our, you know, commuting on the underground. We used to meet in a lot of train stations. And he arranged to meet me next day for me to go to a ball game with him. I didn't know until just a few years ago when I heard his story he could not remember for the life of him what I looked like. He knew he had made a date with a girl. He hadn't a clue what she looked like. And he showed up in his uniform, and he says that he thinks I'm the one that was there. I was. I was the one who was there the night before. I remember the night before he had told me when he danced with me that night that, um, you know, I, my hair smelled nice. And I thought, that was a nice compliment. I wasn't used to that. But in checking back a little bit, some of the girls he had been going out with, you know, their hair didn't smell too good. So I don't know whether that was a compliment or not. And we have laughed about this, and he doesn't mind me saying it. <laughs> We've laughed about a lot of those things that have happened in those days. We started dating, and we, I got, we got on well together. I drank along with him, and I enjoyed it, but I was... He told me since then, but I was not a very good person to drink with. You know, I'm the type who, if you're going to have a drink before dinner, let's drink and then let's eat, you know, and he didn't like that. I'm the one who lets the ice melt in the glass before I get through. I leave a little drop in the glass, you know, those sort of things. So it must have been a little bit difficult for him to be with me and the drinking. We finally got to the point where my mother and father began to accept him. They were not too happy about this relationship at first because... Like the British troops, wherever they were, Americans did not have a very good reputation over there. There was a girl down the street from us who had got pregnant by one, and my mother never let me forget it. You know, it was, that's what you get when you go out with one of those. It was always Yanks. When you go out with one of those Yanks, that's what you get. But they began to accept him, and they began to like him, and he was always welcome in the home. But he decided to come back home and visit an old girlfriend, which he did, and I think he must have gone into a fuss with her mother and he came back over and I think he must have thought, well, if I get hooked up with Doreen, I won't have any problem with families because hers will be over here as she comes to the States. I think that's the reason. So he came back and he asked me, he said, would you care to come back to the United States with me? And I said, well, I'll have to ask my dad. Now, this may seem crazy to young people, but back over 30 years ago, and you asked your dad first, you know, whether you, and I was 20 then or 21, and I asked my father, and he said, well, does he plan on marrying you? I said, well, I think so. I don't know. He didn't say. Um, I gather Carlton had not planned on marrying me. You know, I gather he hadn't. But anyway, we did a lot of our courting in the movie. We call them picture houses over there, and you call them movies. And we did a lot of our courting there. And I told him what my father had said. And there was a young uh, lady going up and down the aisle at that time, and she was selling ice cream and lemonade and stuff like that. And he said, do you want a chocolate and a vanilla? And will you or won't you? And that was Mary. And I said, 
I'll have a chocolate yes I will marry you now those of you who know Carlton that's the most romantic he has been in 33 years of marriage <laughs> and that's okay too <laughs> you know he's the type if I'm going on a trip and he wants me to be careful or take care of myself is take care of the car remember it's paid for you know and that I can accept that I'd rather he said that than say don't come back <laughs> so, so he asked me if I would and we went through all the red tape of getting permission to get married and that's what we started and it took a lot of red tape we had to get permission from this one and that one we each had to have physicals we had to see a chaplain I remember we both had to go in and be interviewed by a chaplain and we had to sit on either end of a table and they gave us questionnaires to fill out and you hoped to pray that both answers matched you know when you got through before the government gave you permission I gather I was investigated by the FBI to see if I had any communist background or anything like that but finally we got permission and we made wedding plans knowing what I know now I should have known what had happened the night before the wedding Carlton had a bachelor party and he was a little he had to come by my house that morning to pick up his boutonniere and he was a little late getting there and we don't didn't own a car my father had rented a car and uh, the guy who was the chauffeur came in and he was sitting there and Carlton was late and he said you know love I had one of those the other day and that fella never did show up you know he was going oh god that's just what I needed you know I've not had so much success so I went back in the kitchen when I heard Carlton come into the front door I lived in one of those houses that I think some of you refer to as the shotgun house you look through the front door and right through the back houses on each side so I went back and hid in the scullery which was another little room attached to the kitchen Carlton came in to get his boot in here he was nervous my father knew what would settle his stomach not knowing what the problem was gave him two short thick ones and boy he was up and ready you know he has since admitted he remembers nothing of the wedding nothing whatsoever and during the most bad days of our life he questioned the validity of this marriage <laughs> he had heard early on that if you go into a contract under the influence it wasn't legal and you know i think he wanted to get out of it and i don't blame him i didn't want it to get away from me at times like that too but the wedding went forth and we started off on our married life we stayed in England about nine months, I think, before we came over here. And we came back over here on a troop ship. And looking back now, I can remember I was so young and, in and green and innocent, 21 years old, did not know what I was getting into, did not know what a whole new life was going to be like. And I remember when I said goodbye to my parents, how upset they were. And now I have two grown daughters, and Carter and I have talked about this a lot of times. How would I feel if one of mine was going to the other end of the world? And in those days, he didn't fly back and forth easily. It was a big undertaking. So I came over here and I moved in, in with my in-laws. And Carter's from a small town in South Carolina called Donald's. You know, someone bound to heard of it one time or another. It's got the population of 450. And uh, I was from London. It was a big difference to move into there. And I have to say right now, I have very, very good in-laws. Um, my father-in-law died a few years ago and I still miss him to this day. He was a very nice, very nice man to me. His, his and my relationship was a type where we picked at one another all the time. His pet name for me was Ducky. Um, I'm short, when I got pregnant, I waddled just like a duck, you know. And that stuck for years. And if I didn't always do some of the things he wanted me to do or disagreed with me, he was always going to have me deported. You know, that was his favorite word. 
Yeah, if you keep this up, Ducky, you're gone. I'm going to get you deported, you know. And I miss that. I really do. Um, they took me in. They were good to me, and they were kind to me. They didn't understand me. I didn't understand them at times. Later on, during the bad years, the drinking years, I built up a lot of resentments against them. And the reason I did was there was never any drinking around mum and dad. And in my mind it was, you obviously love your mother and father better than you love me. I realise now that was sick. But, you know, and I have tried to make amends without coming out and ever telling my mother-in-law I had a resentment against her because she's elderly now, 78 I think it is. And uh, it would do more harm than good. So I try to be extra nice to her and more understanding. But that's some of the feelings I had. We st after Carlton got out of service, we started our married life and we've moved a lot of times and I'm not going to go into all the different moves that we have made. But I will try to share with you some of the things of how I reacted to the disease of alcoholism. We had two little girls pretty close together. They're 20, they were 20 months apart. They are 31 and 29 now. And we've done a lot of moving. We lived in the mobile home for a while. Carlton was involved in construction work. And then he got into textiles. And we have moved, I think, altogether 17 times. We figured that out one time. Not in a different town every time, but we have moved around quite a bit. We've lived in Massachusetts, South Carolina, and North Carolina. We've made many moves in North Carolina, only one up into Massachusetts. And this is when the time of the drinking started getting worse. It started picking up. And this is when I started rea reacting. Sorry about that, Buck. <laughs> this is when I started reacting. Because I knew things were not quite right in our home. And I couldn't understand why. You know, I thought, what is it that I'm not doing? Why is he doing these things? You know, I thought I was very unique. I thought no one had the problem that we had. I thought there must be something I'm not doing right. And every time there will be a slip or a binge, I will question again, what didn't you do right this time, Doreen? Did you not have the house clean enough? Did you not have yourself looking nice enough? Are you nagging too much? All these things. And I will try doubly hard to make it right next time so there wouldn't be a reason to drink. And it didn't work. And I'd be back, back in the pits again. I've been brought up to believe behind every good man is a good woman. And my man was having problems. So what was wrong with me? Because my mother was one of those types, and all her generation was, you know, well, if you cook right, or if you did this right, you wouldn't have these problems. And these were the old tapes that were back here, and it took a long time to erase them. And I didn't do that until I came into Al-Anon. That's how I felt. I was brought up to believe nice girls don't marry drunks. Okay, there must be something wrong with you, Doreen, because this is what's happening in your life. And now when I look back, I never thought I would say this, but I am so grateful now that I am married to an alcoholic because it helped me to find this program. And if it took what it took for us to go through all what we do to get to this program now, it was worth every bit of it. When I first came into Al-Anon, I'd hear people say things like that. And I thought, they must be nuts. There's no way I can be grateful for this. But I am now because this is what it's brought me. And so I'm grateful, but I never thought I would say that. I had no problem whatsoever when I came to this program with insanity because some of the things I did were not one bit sane. You know, if I wore a certain dress, and I can remember one time wearing it three times in a row, and every time I wore it, Carson got drunk. I didn't wear the dress again. You know, that, that, was, that was what was causing it. 
if I cook certain meals and I cook spaghetti, and I think I did that two or three times in a row, you know, and every time we had spaghetti, he didn't come home. It was the spaghetti. So, you know, we did not have spaghetti again. And I thought, you know, if I shared this with people outside our program, they would have no difficulty whatsoever thinking I'm not. But, you know, you, some of you understand what I'm talking about. You know, you know where I'm coming from. I had a lot of fear. I had the fear of losing my standards of living. And Carl never once physically, mentally, or financially abused us. Uh, he was a nice person. I was in a meeting the other day, and this gal was talking, and she mentioned that all alcoholics were abusive. And um, she was pretty new in the program. And I had to do it. You know, I jumped right on and said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. No, they're not. I said, you mean some may be, but not all are. I myself have had a very nice person in my family. It was me who was the one who was ugly. It was me who was the bitch all the time. And I did bitch all the time. I tried not to, but I couldn't help it. It was like I knew when he was coming in, and I used to say to myself, this time, Doreen, keep your mouth shut. And it was like a string was attached to my mouth. And, you know, wow, that is it. Right away, you know. My boys understood that Dad was sick. They knew something was wrong with him, but they didn't know what was wrong with me. Some of my regrets are that I did not spend as much time with my children as I should have done when they were young. It was always, I haven't got time for this now. Can't you see I'm busy worrying? And that was too conscious, and I was. I was obsessed the whole time with whether he was going to drink or whether he wasn't. And we had an awful lot of good times in this marriage. An awful lot of good. Sometimes there was months went by and Christ never drank. And yet I was obsessed with it. I'd wake up in the morning and I used to think, is today going to be the day when it's going to pull one? It was like an umbrella over my house. Here all the time, rather. I never got enjoyed good times. This sounds crazy, too. I used to think, if you endure today, if you were going to do something special with the family, God's going to make him drunk next week to punish you. I never could figure out what he was going to punish me for, but that's how it was going to be. I didn't think I deserved happiness. I didn't think I deserved a good time. None of it was due to the alcoholic. Christ never once laid any guilt on me. I was laying it on myself, and that's how the disease of alcoholism affected me in my life. It may affect some other elements a different way, but that's how it affected me. Every house we moved into, the very first thing I did was find the room with the best view of the road. Because that's where I was going to sit and wait for him, you know. I would make sure I could get a real good view and I would sit there by the hour. It never dawned on me to go to bed, to go to sleep. If he wasn't coming home, you know, I had to get up. He was doing fine. He'd come home and go to sleep and may not go to work next day. I was the one who had to go to work. I was the one with the dreary eyes. And yet I never even thought that that's what I should have done. The girls I used to say to them, don't bring anything home to you. Check first to see how dirty you is. And most of the time, dirty is fine. It was me. Well, I look back now at anyone who's who's got young children, 
A lot of trouble with allergies in your eyes and that you wore sunglasses a lot in the morning. I said, well, I usually cried all the way to work and then I would try to make out that I had hay fever or something else like that. So he said, do you think you'll come here for counseling? I said, no, I don't think that'll work. He said, I'll try and get someone in AA to call you. So a gentleman from Canapolis did call us and this man is dead now and I wish we had showed more appreciation to him and what he did for us. He couldn't come out until Saturday morning, and by that time, Carlton was feeling much better. So I decided I was going to be real big about it, and when the man came in, I was going to leave the two of them alone. I was in the next room listening to every word that was said. I wanted to stick my head around that door so bad and say, yes, but, yes, but. And those of us in al know what it's like when a newcomer comes in and we try to share with them how things were, and they always say, yes, but, my case is different, you know, and that's what I wanted to do. He talked us into going to a meeting that day, that night, and we went to the Hawthorne group and Carson picked up his chip, and I was very proud of him. I had feelings of, you know, this ain't going to last. You know, he's been dry one time before for two years. This is not going to last. And we started going every night. Now, he went to get me off his back. I went to make sure he went. And I would think to myself, I'm never going to keep this pace up. I can't do it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to make this man sober, you know. I am so grateful to you alcoholics for not letting me into a closed meeting. Because if I could have gone into one, I would have been riding there with him. But you didn't let me. And it's embarrassing to sit out in the car by yourself. So a lady, Judy, came up to me and she said, why don't you come to Al-Anon? And I thought, well, okay. And I went and I sat and I thought, I can't relate to this. See, my problem's in there. When he's sober, I have no more problems. You know, that was my philosophy, my outlook on life. And finally, it dawned on me, hey, Carlton is growing. And this one person said to me, if you don't start doing something about yourself, you're going to lose this marriage because he is growing and I can see it and you're not. And that's when I started getting involved in Al-Anon. It wasn't easy. It took me a long time to work through all the steps and I had to go back over them again and again. And it took a long time for me to begin to see any growth in me. But the things that Al-Anon has given me it's, I think the first thing that it's given me more than anything else is freedom. I am not responsible for anybody else anymore. Now, I love them, and I'm concerned about them, and I'll support anyone, but I am not responsible. I heard an AA say once, and I can relate to this, that he felt like he had to crank the sun up every morning and crank it down every night, and I felt the same way. And that was such a relief to know that I did not have to do all that. I was the type of person that, you know, if we were anywhere in a crowd and Carlton may say something that I thought was inappropriate or I didn't approve of, I'd wait until he drifted away and I went up and apologized for him, you know, afterwards. And I didn't have to do that. I was taking away his dignity by doing that, and I did not realize it. So I've had to learn not to do that. They taught me the three C's in Al-Anon. I can't cure it, I can't control it, and I can't give him cause it. And that helped me more than anything, because for years I thought all three I was responsible for. And when they told me those and shared those with me, that's what helped me there. I gained some self-confidence. I had never had self-confidence before. I was always Carlton's wife, my daughter's mother, and anywhere we went, it was, and they would, Carlton's a very outgoing person, and um, people would know him more than they would know me, and it was always, oh, and this is Carlton's wife. You know, I would be tagging along behind. And it was nice to feel that I didn't have to, I could be me in my own way. And that's what Alan has given me, some self-confidence that I didn't have. 
before. I could share with people in my group how I felt gut level, and I hadn't not been able to do that for years. People knew how I felt, and I was grateful to the alcoholics because Carlton could share with them, and they knew how he felt inside, and they could help him. I had tried for years, and I had made a mess of it, so it was a relief when he started going to his group, and he started going to his AA friends, and I started going to mine, and I started getting some of the things. I was finally able to feel that I was comfortable with myself. I like myself better. I don't like myself all the time. There are times when I don't like me at all, but I usually know that there's something I'm not doing right, and I know what the tools are, and I try to start working on them. I talked about loneliness just now. I am never lonely anymore. I can be alone a lot of times, and I enjoy being alone, but it's not that lonely, deep feeling down inside. Family members probably can relate to me when I tell them it's that empty gut feeling down here, or there's a lump there and you don't know which way to get it to move. It's that loneliness down there. The alcoholic talks about the loneliness and the fear. <clears throat> we have it just as much, only maybe we don't quite show it. You have a word in your program called halt. Don't get too hungry, too angry, too lonely, or too tired. And I believe that applies to us in Al-Anon too. And I try to use that as well. I try to use my Al-Anon friends and share with them the things that bother me. I have a pretty good relationship with God now. As I told you, to me, he's kind of a funny guy. And I like to feel that way. I don't always as close, I'm not always as close to him as I would like to be. Have any of you ever tried to get close to God some mornings when you start your meditation and you feel like you're plugged in? He's like, you know, electricity. You know, I know he's there and I can feel it inside and I feel good about everything. And the other days I say it over and over my prayers and I meditate and my mind's jumping everywhere and I don't feel plugged in. But that's okay. On days like that I usually say, okay God, you know, um, I'm not with you but hang with me. I'll be back with you tomorrow, you know. And I feel like he understands where I'm coming from. Meditation is one of my hardest things to do. My mind jumps all the time, and I'm trying to work on that. That's one of the things that I have been working on. I haven't had any dramatic awakening. I haven't had a burning bush experience. I would love to have one, but I haven't had one. But I get a warm glow inside when I kind of know that I'm doing whatever his will for me. And I know when I'm not doing what his will is for me, because I feel uncomfortable inside, and I feel miserable, and I know that I've got to do something about it. And sometimes I procrastinate, and we were talking about this two or three of us yesterday. Some days things are all pile up on you and you come home and you know up here what you're supposed to do. I had a day not too long ago like this. I thought I should be reading the literature. I should be calling a sponsor. I should go to a meeting. And I didn't feel like doing anything. And I wanted to say, do an Al-Anon. So I didn't do anything that day. I laid on the couch and I read a novel, which I, you know, up here I knew I shouldn't do it, but it was getting a message down here. And I've learned in this program that's okay too, because the next day I was sick and tired of being in that pit, and I pulled myself out, and I got busy again. I have the tools, I don't always use them. That's nobody else's fault but mine. I'm the one who's got to use the tools, and I'm the one that's got to use them. I have a real good relationship with Carlton now. Uh, not only is he my husband, he's also my best friend. And I don't think I can, after you've been married as long as we have, and it's been 33 years now, I think that's kind of neat to say. We share our programs together. A lot of times I can't get a hold of an Al-Anon and he can't get a hold of an AA and we'll talk. We communicate now or we never did before. Now let me say that our life is not perfect. <laughs> there are times when we do disagree, but we have learned to respect each other's viewpoints 
and we have learned to back off from one another at times and give one another space and we never did that before. I know when things are bothering him and I can back off and leave him and vice versa. He does the same to me. But I would like to say now that Carlton to me has been a very, very supportive person in my program. I have got involved in service work pretty heavily and it takes a lot of time. And he has been the most supportive person. I couldn't have asked for anyone to have been nicer to me and have done for, more for me. And I am very proud that I am married to him. And I don't always tell him because I'm not the romantic type either. But I would like to tell him today how much he means to me and how much I appreciate him. He's been everything to me. Uh, with my daughter, I have a pretty good relationship with them now, much better than it used to be. They're still closer to their dad than they are me, but I think a lot of daughters are closer to fathers than they are to their mothers. I have, um, I think there's some things still there that they hold me responsible for. They say they don't, and maybe they don't. Maybe I'm oversensitive about it. One of our girls, does tend to have a lot of characteristics of family illness. I hope it doesn't progress any further, but I can't do anything about it. I have to turn it loose, and she does know there's a program if she ever needs it. And that's com comforting too. And we are working on our relationship, because see, all the years they knew something was wrong with Dad, but they didn't know what was wrong with me. And it's going to take them a while to build that confidence back. The youngest one and I have a very good relationship. She calls me a lot now. And I'm working on the one with the oldest one, and I think eventually it will finally come. My mother, I have went home to see her this year. She's living in a retirement home now. My father died, and she's living in a retirement home. And my mother's always loved me, and I've loved her too. But we have led, led two totally different lives for over 30 years. And you can just imagine if one of your mother or father or one has lived in another country for 30 years, there is a difference there. There's not the closeness that there was. So I knew I had to go this year. And I kept putting it off. You know what I mean? When you know you've got to do something and you keep putting it off and procrastinating. So finally I decided, yes, I did have to go and I made the arrangement. Still thinking maybe I can back out. And then Piedmont Airlines reduced the fare to 30 days only to 398. And I thought, mm, he's telling me you better go now. <laughs> so I went, before I went though, I prayed. And I said, God, help me with this. Help me to make this visit a good one for both of us so that we both feel good about it because at her age, she's 84 now, I never know what's going to happen. I went and she stayed with my cousin and my cousin's just like my sister to me and it was a good visit. I wasn't there very long. It was long enough for her, four or five days and she was ready to go back to the retirement home to get into her routine again. But it was a good visit and I said some things to her that I hadn't been able to say in years and she said some things to me. So I came back and for the first time in 33 years, I came back feeling good, didn't feel sad, and didn't feel down and guilty because I'd carried a lot of guilt with an only child, you should have brought your mother over here to live with you, and all these sort of things. So I came back feeling good. And that's one of the other fringe benefits of what this program has done for me. My program, Al-Anon, is a living program. We have sobriety in our home now, but we have living problems. Carlton and I are going through a rough spell with some other things in our life right now. And we know that we've turned our life and will over to God. And we know that things will work out eventually. We're great believers in that he speaks to us through people. Because I, as I said before, I haven't had a burning bush experience. But I feel sure he speaks to me through people. We're listening. We keep asking him, have you said it yet? And we've missed it. You know, we know we're going to get some direction. He hasn't come through yet. We're still listening, waiting for it. And the other day I was thinking, if all of this had happened, and it's with Carlton's business, if all of this had happened, before we both got into our program, I would have been a basket case, trying to work and get it all fixed and do it. And you know, I'm not. 
I'm not uptight inside. I enjoy each day as it comes. And suddenly the light bulb went on. This is what you call serenity. When you say the serenity prayer, he has given me serenity. Things are not like I wish they were. But it's okay. You know, I'm, I'm happy today. And we were talking just before we came down this morning and something came up and Carlton says, I do fine when I don't project. And I was thinking, that's me. I'm okay today. I have a good friend who says, a lot of things I say is not mine. I've heard somewhere else and I'll share with you. She said, when you've got one eye, day, uh, one eye on yesterday and one eye on tomorrow, you're cross-eyed today. And that's true. You screw today up. <laughs> so that I have to remember too. I am very grateful, as I said, that I am married to an alcoholic. I'm very grateful that his disease has brought me to this program. I'm grateful to every one of you here for being here. I am very supportive of my home group. It's a lot of times it's easy for me to sit at home and not go to a meeting, but I stop and think, supposing everybody had done that from the first time I wanted to go to a meeting, you know, where would I have been today? I feel like there's just a few miles from here there's someone hurting just the same as I did over 10 years ago, and I feel this program has to be there for them. I heard Lois Wilson say when I was in New York, New York one time, the growth of both our programs was great. The drinking still continued. I couldn't understand how he could work so hard and to stay dry for months. And then when things were going good, it was everything great. The drinking still continued. I couldn't understand how he could work so hard and to stay dry for months. And then when things were going good, it was always when things were going good, he would start drinking again. I couldn't, I, I tried so hard to understand why. It was such a relief when I came in this program just to accept it and not try to figure out why all the time. I went to work as a secretary in a local mental health center. And my higher power, who I choose, used to call God, is a funny guy. Because he put me to work in the addiction section. And I was secretary to all the case workers in this mental health centre, and I was to the clinicians. And I'm typing up case history, and I thought, my God, I got one of these at home. <laughs> I became an instant authority on alcoholism. Now I did not, I did not um, bring home anything relating to Carlson. I would bring the family stuff home, literature, when everyone left the office at lunchtime, I would go in and help myself to material for the family, ne for, for Carlson, never for the family. And I knew that the psychiatry wouldn't work because while we were in Massachusetts, I had taught Carlson to go in to see a psychiatrist. He came home and I was like, well, what did he say? And I thought, sure, this man was going to straighten him out. He said, uh, I haven't, I don't think I've got a problem, and you may have. Now, he never said, you've got one. He said, you know, he thinks you have. That worries me. I thought, well, that man is far more educated than me. Maybe it's me that can't accept the drinking. Since Carlton's been in the program, he's told me to be told the psychiatrist, and the guy said to him, what seems to be your problem? And he said, my wife thinks I drink too much. And the psychiatrist said, well, how much do you drink? He said, well... Maybe in the course of the year, I may drink a fifth. <laughs> no wonder the guy thought I had a problem. <laughs> he never once, called, never once told me I was responsible, but I took that on myself. So I knew we weren't going to go through that route. I was petrified all the time that he would show up where I worked. And that was dumb, because knowing him, now he never would have done anything like that. But I had got to the point when I was going home at night, 
Have you ever felt like you want to drive on and on and on? I always fantasize of going to a place at the beach and having a little room somewhere and not have to be responsible for anything or anybody. And that's what I wanted to do. And the last episode came, Carl went to Atlanta for a day trip and was gone a week. <laughs> and he would come back home, I finally picked him up at the airport and I, quote, kept him dry the whole weekend. And I was awful that weekend. We bought a new dining room suit and it had been delivered from the um, dealer and it was, had to be put together. And he was, I made him put it together and he must have felt terrible. And it was just a few years ago, we were trying to get one of the extra leaves in and he said, you know, this thing never does work right. What's wrong with it? And uh, we're not supposed to do this in our mind, but I couldn't help it. And I said, remember, you put that together on your last run. You know, it doesn't work right, you know. Anyway, we quote, kept him dry, as we said, and he went through all the agonies of coming off of it for three days. And the girls, by this time, my oldest girl had come back to Concord. She had finished college, and she was working with her dad with him. I didn't realize he felt this way, but he felt now that she, he was to keep, she was to keep an eye on him during the day, and I was going to keep an eye on him at night. That's how we were going to work it, but we didn't have that in mind. So she was down here. And her and the younger one and I decided we were going to have a talk with him. You all know those round table conferences and they back you into a corner? We came home that night and we started talking to Carlton and we said, you know, you have got to do something about your drinking. And I heard Virginia talk about this this morning and I've remembered it so many times. When you point a finger at someone, you've got three pointing back at you. And I try to remember that before I ever do that again. And he said, okay, I will. And if he'll tell you in his talk when he was got his back up to the wall, he would have done anything to get out of it. So I said, well, let me see what I can do. So I went to work next day and I decided I would talk to one of the clinicians. And I went in and he was a retired minister who was an alcoholism counselor. And I went in and I spoke to him and he said, I had no idea you had this problem at home. He said, I can pick it up usually. But he said, you have covered it up so well. And I said, well, yeah, I'm pretty good at doing that. I'm pretty good at putting the front up. He said, you laugh and you cut up. I never have known. He said, I have suspected one thing, though, that you always have a lot of trouble with allergies in your eyes and that you wore sunglasses a lot in the morning. I said, well, I usually cried all the way to work, and then I would try to make out that I had hay fever or something else like that. So he said, do you think you'll come here for counseling? I said, no, I don't think that'll work. He said, I'll try and get someone in AA to call you. So a gentleman from Canapolis did call us, and this man is dead now, and I wish we had showed more appreciation to him and what he did for us. He couldn't come out until Saturday morning, and by that time, Carlton was feeling much better. So I decided I was going to be real big about it, and when the man came in, I was going to leave the two of them alone. I was in the next room listening to every word that was said. I wanted to stick my head around that door so bad and say, yes, but, yes, but. And those of us in al know what it's like when a newcomer comes in and we try to share with them how things were, and they always say, yes, but, my case is different, you know, and that's what I wanted to do. We talked us into going to a meeting that day, that night, and we went to the Hawthorne group and Carson picked up his chip, and I was very proud of him. I had feelings of, you know, this ain't going to last. You know, he's been dry one time before for two years, it's not going to last. And we started going every night. Now, he went to get me off his back. I went to make sure he went. And I was thinking to myself, I'm never going to keep this pace up. I can't do it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to make this man sober, you know. I am so grateful to you alcoholics for not letting me into a closed meeting. Because if I could have gone into one, I would have been riding there with him. But you didn't let me. And it's embarrassing to sit out in the car by yourself. 
So a lady, Judy, came up to me and she said, why don't you come to Al-Anon? And I thought, well, okay. And I went and I sat and I thought, I can't relate to this. See, my problem's in there. When he's sober, I have no more problems. You know, that was my philosophy, my outlook on life. And finally, it dawned on me, hey, Carlton is growing. And this one person said to me, if you don't start doing something about yourself, you're going to lose this marriage because he is growing and I can see and you're not. And that's when I started getting involved in Al-Anon. It wasn't easy. It took me a long time to work through all the steps and I had to go back over them again and again. And it took a long time for me to begin to see any growth in me. But the things that Al-Anon has given me is I think the first thing that it's given me more than anything else is freedom. I am not responsible for anybody else anymore. Now I love them and I'm concerned about them and I'll support anyone, but I am not responsible. I heard an AA say once, and I can relate to this, that he felt like he had to crank the sun up every morning and crank it down every night. And I felt the same way. And that was such a relief to know that I did not have to do all that. I was the type of person that, you know, if we were anywhere in a crowd and Carlton may say something that I thought was inappropriate or I didn't approve of, I'd wait until he drifted away and I went up and apologized for him, you know, afterwards. And I didn't have to do that. I was taking away his dignity by doing that, and I did not realize it. So I've had to learn not to do that. They taught me the three C's in Al-Anon. I can't cure it, I can't control it, and I can't didn't cause it. And that helped me more than anything, because for years I thought all three I was responsible for. And when they told me those and shared those with me, that's what helped me there. I gained some self-confidence. I had never had self-confidence before. I was always Carlton's wife, my daughter's mother, and anywhere we went, it was, and they would, Carlton's a very outgoing person, and um, people would know him more than they would know me, and it was always, oh, and this is Carlton's wife, you know, I would be tagging along behind. And it was nice to feel that I didn't have to, I could be me in my own way. And that's what Alan and I had given me, some self-confidence that I didn't have before. I could share with people in my group how I felt gut level, and I hadn't not been able to do that for years. People knew how I felt. And I was grateful to the alcoholics that Carlton could share with them, and they knew how he felt inside, and they could help him. I had tried for years, and I had made a mess of it. So it was a relief when he started going to his group, and he started going to his AA friends. And I started going to mine, and I started getting some of the things. I was finally able to feel that I was comfortable with myself. I liked myself better. I don't like myself all the time. There are times when I don't like me at all. But I usually know that there's something I'm not doing right, and I know what the tools are, and I try to start working on them. I talked about loneliness just now. I am never lonely anymore. I can be alone a lot of times, and I enjoy being alone, but it's not that lonely, deep feeling down inside. Family members probably can relate to me when I tell them it's that empty gut feeling down here, or there's a lump there, and you don't know which way to get it to move. It's that loneliness down there. The alcoholic talks about the loneliness and the fear. <clears throat> we have it just as much, and maybe we don't quite show it. You have a word in your program called halt. Don't get too hungry, too angry, too lonely, or too tired. And I believe that applies to us in Al-Anon too, and I try to use that as well. I try to use my Al-Anon friends and share with them the things that bother me. I have a pretty good relationship with God now. As I told you, to me, he's kind of a funny guy. And I like to feel that way. I don't always as close, I'm not always as close to him as I would like to be. 
Have any of you ever tried to get close to God some mornings when you start your meditation and you feel like you're plugged in? He's like, you know, electricity. You know, I know he's there and I can feel it inside and I feel good about everything. And the other days I stayed over and over my prayers and I meditate and my mind's jumping everywhere and I don't feel plugged in. But that's okay. On days like that I usually say, okay God, you know, um, I'm not with you, but hang with me. I'll be back with you tomorrow, you know. And I feel like he understands where I'm coming from. Meditation is one of my hardest things to do. My mind jumps all the time and I'm trying to work on that. That's one of the things that I have been working on. I haven't had any dramatic awakening. I haven't had a burning bush experience. I would love to have one, but I haven't had one. But I get a warm glow inside when I kind of know that I'm doing whatever his will for me. And I know when I'm not doing what his will is for me because I feel uncomfortable inside and I feel miserable and I know that I've got to do something about it. And sometimes I procrastinate and we were talking about this two or three of us yesterday. Some days things are all pile up on you and you come home and you know up here what you're supposed to do. I had a day not too long ago like this. I thought I should be reading the literature. I should be calling a sponsor. I should go to a meeting. And I didn't feel like doing anything. And I wanted to say, do now and on. So I didn't do anything that day. I laid on the couch and I read a novel, which I, you know, up here I knew I shouldn't do it. But it was getting a message down here. And I've learned in this program that's okay too because the next day I was sick and tired of being in that pit and I pulled myself out and I got busy again. I have the tools, I don't always use them. That's nobody else's fault but mine. I'm the one who's got to use the tools and I'm the one that's got to use them. I have a real good relationship with Carlton now. Uh, not only is he my husband, he's also my best friend. And I don't think I can, after you've been married as long as we have and it's been 33 years now, I think that's kind of neat to say. We share our programs together. A lot of times I can't get a hold of an Al-Anon and he can't get a hold of an AA and we'll talk. We communicate now where we never did before. Now let me say that our life is not perfect. <laughs> there are times when we do disagree. But we have learned to respect each other's viewpoints. And we have learned to back off from one another at times and give one another space. And we never did that before. I know when things are bothering him and I can back off and leave him and vice versa. He does the same to me. But I would like to say now that Carlton to me has been a very, very supportive person in my program. I have got involved in service work pretty heavily and it takes a lot of time. And he has been the most supportive person. I couldn't have asked for anyone to have been nicer to me and have done for, more for me. And I am very proud that I am married to him. And I don't always tell him because I'm not the romantic type either. But I would like to tell him today how much he means to me and how much I appreciate him. He's been everything to me. Uh, with my daughter, I have a pretty good relationship with them now, much better than it used to be. They're still closer to their dad than they are me, but I think a lot of daughters are closer to fathers than they are to their mothers. I have, um, I think there's some things still there that they hold me responsible for. They say they don't, and maybe they don't. Maybe I'm oversensitive about it. One of our girls does tend to have a lot of characteristics of family illness. I hope it doesn't progress any further, but I can't do anything about it. I have to turn it loose, and she does know there's a program if she ever needs it. And that's com comforting too. And we are working on our relationship. Because for all the years they knew something was wrong with Dad, but they didn't know what was wrong with me. And it's going to take them a while to build that confidence back. The youngest one and I have a very good relationship. She calls me a lot now. And I'm working on the one with the oldest one. And I think eventually it will finally come. My mother, I have went home to see her this year. She's living in a retirement home now. My father died and she's living in a retirement home. And my mother's always loved me, and I've loved her too. 
that we have led, led two totally different lives for over 30 years. And you can just imagine if one of your mother or father or one has lived in another country for 30 years, there is a difference there. There's not the closeness that there was. So I knew I had to go this year, and I kept putting it off. You know what I mean? And you know you've got to do something, and you keep putting it off and procrastinating. So finally I decided, yes, I did have to go, and I made the arrangements, still thinking maybe I can back out. And then Piedmont Airlines reduced the fare to 30 days only to 398. And I thought, mm, he's telling me you better go now. So I went, before I went, though, I prayed. And I said, God, help me with this. Help me to make this visit a good one for both of us so that we both feel good about it. Because at her age, she's 84 now, I never know what's going to happen. I went, and she stayed with my cousin, and my cousin's just like my sister to me. And it was a good visit. I wasn't there very long. It was long enough for her, four or five days, and she was ready to go back to the retirement home to get into her routine again. But it was a good visit. And I said some things to her that I hadn't been able to say in years, and she said some things to me. So I came back, and for the first time in 33 years, I came back feeling good, didn't feel sad, and didn't feel down and guilty, because I'd carried a lot of guilt with an only child, you should have brought your mother over here to live with you, and all these sort of things. So I came back feeling good. And that's one of the other things benefits what this program has done for me. My program, Al-Anon, is a living program. We have sobriety in our home now, but we have living problems. Carl and I are going through a rough spell with some other things in our life right now. And we know that we've turned our life and will over to God. And we know that things will work out eventually. We're great believers in that he speaks to us through people. Because I, as I said before, I haven't had a burning bush experience. But I feel sure he speaks to me through people. We're listening, we keep asking him, have you said it yet and we've missed it? You know, we know we're going to get some direction, it hadn't come through yet, we're still listening, waiting for it. And the other day I was thinking, if all of this had happened, and it's with Carlton's business, if all of this had happened before we both got into our program, I would have been a basket case, trying to work and get it all fixed and do it. And you know, I'm not. I'm not uptight inside. I enjoy each day as it comes. And suddenly the light bulb went on. This is what you call serenity. When you say the serenity prayer, he has given me serenity. Things are not like I wish they were, but it's okay. You know, I'm, I'm happy today. And we were talking just before we came down this morning, and something came up, and Carlton says, I do fine when I don't project. And I was thinking, that's me. I'm okay today. I have a good friend who says, a lot of things I say is not mine. I've heard somewhere else, and I'll share with you. He said, when you've got one eye day... Uh, one eye on yesterday and one eye on tomorrow, you're cross-eyed today. And that's true, you screw today up. <laughs> so that I have to remember too. I am very grateful, as I said, that I am married to an alcoholic. I'm very grateful that his disease has brought me to this program. I'm grateful to every one of you here for being here. I am very supportive of my home group. It's a lot of times it's easy for me to sit at home and not go to a meeting. But I stop and think, supposing everybody had done that from the first time I wanted to go to a meeting, you know, where would I have been today? I feel like there's just a few miles from here, there's someone hurting just the same as I did over 10 years ago. And I feel this program has to be there for them. I heard Lois Wilson say when I was in New York, New York one time, the growth of both...